Good morning, Perch Church. It's great to be with you again this morning. We're starting to hear some good news coming from California um, with some of your lockdown restrictions being lifted and we're hearing more and more of our friends of the younger age demographic having access to the vaccine and we're just grateful to hear that things are moving in hopeful directions there for you there. Here in New York, we're similarly just, you know, starting to have access to the vaccine. And um, because I'm pregnant, I'm waiting, but Jerome has had his first dose and my family's getting theirs and we're feeling good about that. It's been such a crazy, crazy year with this pandemic. And we still, I'm sure, have many months ahead of knowing how um, things are going to slowly get back to normal. And if there is really a normal to go back to. Um, I've been thinking about this and um, wondered how how might you have, if you've thought about how you might have responded, if you could go back to a little over a year ago, before our country went on lockdown, and you told yourself, your past self, what was going to happen in the next year, how do you think you would have responded? Like, hey, past self, guess what? In just a few weeks time, the entire world is going to stop. All travel will be closed off between countries. That trip you had planned is going to be canceled. You're gonna be working from home. If you have kids, your kids are gonna be home with you 24 seven, the schools are closed. Yes, that's right. Your entire family is going to be in your house with you 24 seven. You won't be allowed to leave unless you have to get groceries remember that time which by the way you're going to want to stock up on some important things like eggs and toilet paper <laughs> i think if we could go back in time and we told our past selves what was going to happen we probably wouldn't believe it actually i think it's been really interesting to see the sort of stages and waves of belief or response to the coronavirus as they have happened I'm sure somewhere some sociologists or plural sociologists are having a blast analyzing how humanity has responded. Back a year ago in January, so a few months before things really started getting rattled here in the States, I remember Jerome reading to me about what was happening in China. And he was getting really anxious about it. And I just couldn't understand why he was so anxious about something happening so far away. Jerome's family lives in the Philippines, so of course they were much more aware early on of the earliest outbreaks of COVID um, throughout that part of Asia and spreading down into the Philippines and, in, and the effect that it was having. And since Jerome is smart and reads news from other parts of the world, he was an early believer, if you will, of the impact that this pandemic was going to have. But I still wasn't convinced. It took some convincing for me. As the weeks went by, he would read to me about new updates and I would start to learn new facts. And bit by bit, bit by bit, I started to think, oh, well, this sounds pretty serious, but I still didn't think it would impact me. And then March came and in the first couple of weeks, the situation for our family in the Philippines changed dramatically as their society started going into lockdown. And it was immediately unsettling for us when the airports in the Philippines closed and all of a sudden our family was no longer within our reach. We couldn't get to them if we wanted to. And this was when I started to realize that things were about to change dramatically and fast. 
But it wasn't until I had proof and evidence that one, this thing was real, and two, this was really gonna impact me directly that I started to respond and change my own behavior about this information about this virus. And in the next couple of weeks and months, I started to watch the people around us slowly come to the same realization that this invisible force, this virus, was going to have a huge impact on the entire world. And of course, we've all seen the various waves and stages of what this has meant and continues to mean as people still have varying degrees of belief of what the virus is and does. And the stages of increasing lockdown and the slowly rising frustration of people's responses to social restrictions and mask wearing and our various lockdowns and going back into that frustration. And um, it's been wild really to see people's belief, um, belief and uh, understanding of the virus and how they respond to it. An interesting question that I saw posed early on was how would we have been responding to the virus if we could actually see the virus? Like what if the virus were like the size of soccer balls and we could see it floating in the air around us? And if the people who were infected had arrows pointing to their head, pointing to them saying, this person is infected, stay away from them, it would certainly make it a lot easier to keep ourselves safe but also to truly believe that the virus was real. If we could see it floating around us, we wouldn't need other people's stories to convince us of this very real threat. We have this human need to see things in order to believe they exist, which makes sense, right? Invisible things like the germs of a virus are hard for us to comprehend because we can't see them. And so we want evidence, we want proof, which is exactly what this scripture passage for today is all about the need for evidence. So we're reading today in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 30. The passage begins with our disciples huddled up in a house with Jesus' disciples huddled in a house. They were doing their own social distancing of sorts after the crucifixion. This is just a few days after the crucifixion and they're hiding away in a house together because they're afraid for their own lives. They've just seen Jesus, their teacher and leader and friend, be brutally murdered. And since they would be quickly identified as followers of Jesus, they are hiding away in case the people who crucified Jesus might decide to turn on them too. And Mary had just had her encounter with the risen Jesus in the garden, in the garden by the tomb, and she's already shared her testimony with the other disciples. So let's read what happens, um, John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, 
We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put them, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so Thomas comes back from the grocery store or wherever he has been, and he finds the other disciples all excited because Jesus has appeared to them. Now, Thomas has heard the testimony of Jesus' resurrection from Mary already. And you can imagine that at first, all of the disciples are like, what, this lady's crazy. She's really gone nuts with grief and we're starting to be worried about her. She's starting to see things out of her extreme grief and trauma. Jesus can't be alive. We all saw him dead. And like Al said last week, the testimony of a woman didn't mean much back then. But then... Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples and they are like, whoa, man, Mary was right. Imagine that. And Thomas comes back and now they are saying the same things that this woman had said, saying about Jesus being alive. And Thomas is like, guys, why are all of you agreeing with her now? He's like, I need my own proof. I can't believe this until I've seen it with my own eyes and felt it with my own hands. Now, Thomas tends to get a bad rep. He's often been called Doubting Thomas, but actually he responds in a very natural way. I'm sure if any of us were told that someone we had just seen whipped and murdered and hung on a cross had come back to life, we would be pretty skeptical too. Thomas starts thinking scientifically, like guys, this is not how death works. We saw him, he was dead, like dead, dead. And actually not too long ago, this is exactly how the other disciples responded to Mary. They also needed their own proof. It's pretty normal that when you hear some kind of earth-shaking news that you want to see it for yourself. To add another layer to Thomas and the other disciples' doubt and disbelief, not only had Mary already told them about Jesus' resurrection, Jesus himself had already predicted that this was going to happen. Multiple times, multiple times throughout the Gospels, before Jesus is crucified, he tells the disciples, he says, hey guys, I'm going to be killed and then raised from the dead three days later. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's pretty specific, pretty clear, like, guys, this is going to happen. So not only do the disciples not believe Mary, they also don't believe what Jesus himself had told them before. They also needed their own proof. It's pretty normal. 
if you only had someone else's testimony to go on and you personally had not encountered the risen Christ, it's normal to want some kind of evidence of your own. In the same way, it took me a while to truly believe the impact the coronavirus is going to have on our lives. I think as humans, we rightfully are skeptical of things like this. If we believe every insane idea out there, humanity would be in a lot of trouble. In this last year, we've seen the impact that conspiracy theories and cultish beliefs can have on society, unfortunately. God gave us analytical skills for a reason. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the disciples using those skills and asking for evidence. Fact-checking the claims of the resurrection, if you will, is a pretty wise and intelligent response. So Thomas waits a whole week until he gets his evidence. I wonder what it was like for Thomas during that week, watching all of his friends' lives be dramatically changed around him after they have encountered the risen Jesus and he's still sitting there like, y'all are crazy. He might have been pretty scared, like maybe something's wrong with me because I don't believe the same things that they're believing. And he's saying, maybe he's saying, I find it really hard to believe. And so maybe something's wrong with me for not being able to believe. And then Jesus shows up and Thomas sees for himself. And he declares, my Lord and my God. And he believes. The story ends with these words from Jesus. Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Which, of course, is most of us today. Most of us aren't blessed with a flesh and blood encounter with the resurrected Jesus. I think a whole lot more people would believe if we could see Jesus on a regular basis, right? Like you turn on the five o'clock news or you know, you're scrolling through your timeline or whatever, and there's this article that pops up that says, oh, we have 600 new believers today. Jesus showed up in Brazil and he preached the good news for seven minutes and then he was gone. And you get some cell phone video footage of the event. It'd be pretty crazy if that was regularly happening. The world would be a really different place if we were regularly seeing physical resurrected Jesus. For most of us, our experience of Jesus doesn't involve seeing with our eyes or feeling with our hands. Many of us do have testimonies of God at work in our lives, doing things we can't explain in any other way than through divine activity. And we believe the good news as it's laid for out, laid out for us in the Gospels because the Holy Spirit meets us in the words of Scripture and helps us to understand what is written. But sometimes... All we have to turn to are other people's stories about what Jesus has done. And we're grasping on to the invisible force of the Holy Spirit, seeing its movement around us and how the Holy Spirit impacts people's lives, but not seeing the Holy Spirit for ourselves. This is why it's called faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I don't know about you, but there's plenty of times in my faith journey where I really need some evidence. I need some proof. I look around and it does not seem like God is good. It does not seem like Jesus is alive. I mean, face it, the world is a mess. Our political structure is completely at odds with itself. 
People are still, a year later, dying at exponential rates. People are struggling with unemployment. So many bad things are happening. And sometimes when the world is falling apart around me, I just find it hard to believe that God is doing anything. And like Thomas, I want some proof. I think what this story tells us is that it's not wrong to ask for evidence. It's perfectly normal to doubt the stories of other people. Even after Jesus himself has told you this was going to happen, Thomas' response is a perfectly normal human response. It's not wrong to ask for evidence and ask for proof. If you're in a place in your journey right now where you're not so sure that God is good, maybe you feel like God has abandoned you, Maybe you feel completely alone in your struggles. I've been there. I've been in that place of doubt where I want to believe so badly, and yet I just don't see or feel the evidence around me. I think sometimes in the church, we shame people for their doubt. We say, buck up. Things will get better. God has a plan. Everything will happen for a reason. We don't leave space for doubt or disbelief. And so we start to believe or think that we're not allowed to question God or what other people say about him. But then right here in the Bible, here's Thomas, having heard the testimony of all the disciples, and he's saying, I'll believe it when I see it. I think this story gives us permission in our seasons of doubt to ask questions, to ask for evidence of God's love. In fact, I believe that it is exactly when we start asking those questions, when we start looking for Jesus, that's when we will start to see him. I think we don't talk enough in church about long seasons of doubt, that this is actually a very common and normal part of the faith experience. St. John of the Cross was a 16th century mystic whose writings and poetry coined the phrase, the dark night of the soul, which described a season, a long season, of feeling as though God is absent. A person who is known for experiencing this, it's become apparent since her death through her journals, that Mother Teresa, yes, Mother Teresa, experienced this kind of dark night of the soul for the last 40 years of her life. She wrote, in my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Those are the words of Mother Teresa, St. Teresa. And in many of the Psalms in scripture, the psalmists write of their own pain, their deep desire and thirst for God's presence as though they have felt his absence. Psalm 13 says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. It's comforting to me when I walk through seasons of doubt to know that if these heroes of the faith, these saints can experience this kind of dark night of the soul, walking through seasons of doubt, seasons of feeling as though God is absent, then I can too. 
each one of us can. It's normal and it's okay to walk through it. So if that's you this week, if you're feeling alone, if you feel like you need evidence that Jesus is alive, ask for proof. Turn to God in prayer and ask. He can handle our doubt. He can handle our fear and our anger and our pain. He's not afraid of our grief. Take your questions to scripture. And when you find scripture to be confusing, because it is often very confusing, find someone who can help you with your questions. If you just need someone to talk to, your Perch Perch Church peeps are here. I love that this community is one where we can come with transparency and vulnerability and and our doubts and pain together. I love Jesus's response to Thomas in this passage. First of all, Jesus comes back seemingly for Thomas's sake. He doesn't want Thomas to rest solely on the testimony of his friends, but he wants Thomas to experience his resurrection for himself. And as he comes back, Thomas isn't so sure when he first meets him, when when he sees Jesus, but Jesus invites Thomas to investigate the truth of his resurrection more. He doesn't shame Thomas and say, you should have known. Why don't you believe that this is true? They've told you, you you don't believe. No, Jesus is gentle with Thomas. And he says, come and see for yourself. Come and touch my wounds. And I think Jesus' response to each of us in our doubt and our questions is exactly the same. He meets us there. He comes and joins us there, inviting us to ask questions. An interesting part of the passage happens when Jesus first appears to the disciples before he comes back to the Thomas. So back for Thomas, so back at the beginning of the passage, after Jesus reveals himself, he breathes on them with the Holy Spirit and says, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. If today you're like, I don't find myself doubting right now, Lauren, like I'm fine, my faith is good. I don't really identify with Thomas. If you've encountered the living Christ, if you believe the Lord is good and risen and alive, if you find yourself bursting with the same joy that Thomas receives when he realizes that Jesus is indeed risen from the dead, then remember that like these disciples, we have been given the Holy Spirit and we are tasked to be sent, even as Jesus was sent by the Father to share the good news to share the love of Jesus. We are the evidence of the risen Christ. We are the agents of bringing about the resurrection love and life and hope to a broken world that is so desperate for hope. So I'd encourage you to think of a creative way to help somebody else see the risen Jesus this this week. Help others believe that they are loved, that there is good in the world, And that good comes from the Lord. Provide that evidence of a good God to our neighbors. Think of tangible ways that you can show love to someone this week. Help others see. You never know whose questions and doubts you may be answering when you provide that little piece of love to someone. Somewhere out there. Someone that someone values their life and loves them. And we can all hope and pray for the day when we all, like Thomas, will see Jesus face to face and declare with our faith 
my Lord and my God, Jesus is alive. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your resurrection, for your life, for the power of it. Lord, would you come and meet us in our questions, come and meet us in our doubt, in our pain. Help us to know ever deeper, ever more surely, your love for us, your hope for the future, and give us new eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen.